Chapter 4 of Sylvie and Bruno by Lewis Carroll. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. A Cunning Conspiracy The warden entered at this moment, and close behind him came the Lord Chancellor, a little flushed and out of breath, and adjusting his wig, which appeared to have been dragged partly off his head. And where is my precious child? my lady inquired, as the four took their seats at the small side-table devoted to ledgers and bundles and bills. "'He left the room a few minutes ago with the Lord Chancellor,' the sub-warden briefly explained. "'Ah,' said my lady, graciously smiling on that high official, "'your lordship has a very taking way with children. "'I doubt if anyone could gain the ear of my darling Agag "'so quickly as you can.' "'For an entirely stupid woman, "'my lady's remarks were curiously full of meaning, "'of which she herself was wholly unconscious. "'The Chancellor bowed, but with a very uneasy air. "'I think the warden was about to speak.' he remarked, evidently anxious to change the subject. But my lady would not be checked. He is a clever boy, she continued with enthusiasm, but he needs a man like your lordship to draw him out. The Chancellor bit his lip and was silent. He evidently feared that, stupid as she looked, she understood what she said this time, and was having a joke at his expense. He might have spared himself all anxiety, whatever accidental meaning her words might have. She herself never meant anything at all. It is all settled, the warden announced, wasting no time over preliminaries. The sub-wardenship is abolished and my brother is appointed to act as vice-warden whenever I am absent. So, as I am going abroad for a while, he will enter on his duties at once. And there will really be a vice after all, my lady inquired. I hope so, the warden smilingly replied. My lady looked much pleased and tried to clap her hands, but you might as well have knocked two feathered beds together for any noise it made. When my husband is vice she said. It will be the same as if we had a hundred vices. Here, here, cried the sub-warden. You seem to think it very remarkable, my lady remarked with some severity, that your wife should speak the truth. Uh, no, not remarkable at all, her husband anxiously explained. Nothing is remarkable that you say, sweet one. My lady smiled approval of the sentiment and went on. Am I vice-wardeness? If you choose to use that title, said the warden. But your excellency will be the proper style of address, and I trust that both his excellency and her excellency will observe the agreement I have drawn up. The provision I am most anxious about is this. He unrolled a large parchment scroll and read aloud the words, Item, that we will be kind to the poor. Uh, the Chancellor worded it for me, he added, glancing at that great functionary. 
I suppose now that word item has some deep legal meaning. Undoubtedly, uh, uh, replied the Chancellor, as articulately as he could with a pen between his lips. He was nervously rolling and unrolling several other scrolls and making room among them for the one the warden had just handed to him. These are merely the rough copies, he explained, and as soon as I've put in the final corrections, making a great commotion among the different parchments, a semicolon or two that I have accidentally omitted. Here he darted about, pen in hand, from one part of the scroll to another, spreading sheets of blotting paper over his corrections. All will be ready for signing. Should it not be read out first? my lady inquired. No need, no need, the sub-warden and the chancellor exclaimed at the same moment with feverish eagerness. No need at all, the warden gently assented. Your husband and I have gone through it together. It provides that he shall exercise the full authority of warden and shall have the disposal of the annual revenue attached to the office until my return or, failing that, until Bruno comes of age, and that he shall then hand over to myself or to Bruno, as the case may be, the wardenship. The unspent revenue and the contents of the treasury, which are to be preserved intact under his guardianship. All this time the sub-warden was busy, with the Chancellor's help, shifting the papers from side to side and pointing out to the warden the place where he was to sign. He then signed it himself, and my lady and the Chancellor added their names as witnesses. Short partings are best, said the Warden. All is ready for my journey. My children are waiting below to see me off. He gravely kissed my lady, shook hands with his brother and the Chancellor, and left the room. The three waited in silence till the sound of wheels announced the Warden was out of hearing then. To my surprise, they broke into peals of uncontrollable laughter. What a game! Oh, what a game! cried the Chancellor, and he and the Vice Warden joined hands and skipped wildly about the room. My lady was too dignified to skip, but she laughed like the neighing of a horse and waved her handkerchief above her head. It was clear to her very limited understanding that something very clever had been done. But what it was, she had yet to learn. "'You said I should hear all about it when the warden had gone,' she remarked, as soon as she could make herself heard. "'And so you shall, Tabby,' her husband graciously replied, as he removed the blotting paper and showed the two parchments lying side by side." This is the one he read but didn't sign, and this is the one he signed but didn't read. You'll see it was all covered up except the place for signing the names. Yes, yes, my lady interrupted eagerly and began comparing the two agreements. Item that he shall exercise the authority of warden in the warden's absence. Why? that's been changed into shall be absolute governor of life, with the title of emperor if elected to that office by the people. What, are you emperor, darling? Not yet, dear, 
the vice-warden replied it won't do to let this paper be seen just at present all in good time my lady nodded and read on item that we will be kind to the poor why let's admit it altogether course it is said her husband we're not going to bother about the wretches good said my lady with emphasis and read on again item that the contents of the treasury be preserved intact why that's altered into shall be at the absolute disposal of the vice-warden well sippy that was a clever trick all the jewels only think may i go put them on directly uh, well not just yet lovey her husband uneasily replied you see the public mind isn't quite ripe for it yet we must feel our way of course we'll have the coach and four out at once and i'll take the title of emperor as soon as we can safely hold an election but they'll hardly stand our using the jewels as long as they know the warden's alive we must spread a report of his death a little conspiracy <laughs> a conspiracy cried the delighted lady clapping her hands of all things i do like a conspiracy it's so interesting the vice-warden and the chancellor interchanged a wink or two let her conspire to her heart's content the cunning chancellor whispered it'll do no harm and when will the conspiracy Hist! her husband hastily interrupted her as the door opened and sylvie and bruno came in with their arms twined lovingly round each other bruno sobbing convulsively with his face hidden on his sister's shoulder and sylvie more grave and quiet but with tears streaming down her cheeks mustn't cry like that the vice-warden said sharply but without any effect on the weeping children cheer em up a bit he hinted to my lady cake my lady muttered to herself with great decision crossing the room and opening a cupboard from which she presently returned with two slices of plum cake eat and don't cry were her short and simple orders and the poor children sat down side by side but seemed in no mood for eating for the second time the door opened or rather was burst open this time as uggug rushed violently into the room shouting the old beggar's come again he's not to have any food the vice-warden was beginning but the chancellor interrupted him it's all right he said in a low voice the servants have their orders he's just under here said uggug who had gone to the window and was looking down into the courtyard where my darling said his fond mother flinging her arms round the neck of the little monster all of us except sylvie and bruno who took no notice of what was going on followed her to the window the old beggar looked up at us with hungry eyes only a crust of bread your highness he pleaded he was a fine old man but looked sadly ill and worn a crust of bread is what i crave he repeated a single crust and a little water it's a water drink this uggug bellowed emptying a jug of water over his head <laughs> well done my boy cried the vice-warden 
That's the way to settle such folk. Clever boy, the wardeness chimed in. Hasn't he good spirits? Take a stick to him, shouted the vice-warden, as the old beggar shook the water from his ragged cloak and again gazed meekly upwards. Take a red-hot poker to him, my lady again chimed in. Possibly there was no red-hot poker handy, but some sticks were forthcoming in a moment, and threatening faces surrounded the poor old wanderer, who waved them back with quiet dignity. No need to break my old bones, he said. I'm going. Not even a crust. Poor old man, exclaimed a little voice at my side, half choking with sobs. Bruno was at the window, trying to throw out his slice of plum cake. But Sylvie held him back. He shall have my cake, Bruno cried, passionately struggling out of Sylvie's arms. Yes, yes, darling, Sylvie gently pleaded. But don't throw it out. He's gone away. Don't you see? Let's go after him. And she led him out of the room, unnoticed by the rest of the party, who were wholly absorbed in watching the old beggar. The conspirators returned to their seats and continued their conversation in an undertone, so as not to be heard by Uggug, who was still standing at the window. By the way, there was something about Bruno succeeding to the wardenship, said my lady. How does that stand in the new agreement? The Chancellor chuckled. Just the same, word for word, he said. With one exception, my lady, instead of Bruno, I've taken the liberty to put in... He dropped his voice to a whisper. To put in Agug, you know. Agug, indeed, I exclaimed in a burst of indignation I could no longer control. To bring out even that one word seemed a gigantic effort, but, the cry once uttered, all efforts ceased at once. A sudden gust swept away the whole scene, and I found myself sitting up, staring at the young lady in the opposite corner of the carriage, who had now thrown back her veil and was looking at me with an expression of amused surprise. End of chapter 4 this recording is in the public domain.